My name is Jessica Owen and I am the Deputy Digital Editor at WTIN and this is the WTIN Podcast. Join me and my guests every week as we talk about new and interesting innovations from across the textile and apparel industry. Whether it's talking to sustainable startups, quizzing experts on the latest research and development, or chatting to companies about their most recent products, you can rest assured that the WTIN podcast will connect you with everything you need to know. This week, I am joined by Michelle Zhu, the CEO and co-founder of Hue. Michelle talks about how the company uses synthetic biology to create a rainbow of sustainable colour, how this drop-in solution is highly scalable, and how there are so many other ways in which bioengineering could be incorporated into the textile industry's sustainable future. Hello, Michelle, and welcome to the WTIN podcast. It's so great to have you on the show today. Um, So how are you? How is life in San Francisco? (laughs) It is foggy and cold here, so I apologize if you have to put up with my heater in the background, Um, but overall doing doing well. I'm so excited to be here. Good, good. I can't imagine, I mean, I've never been to San Francisco, but I understand that California is supposed to be sunny and warm and the opposite (laughs) of the UK so (laughs) it may just be the there are many microclimates and um there yeah the the San Francisco weather is very unique you drive a little bit out and it really is sunny and beautiful but um as as a Southern California born and raised girl I I have to say even though I've been living in the Bay Area for a long time I still am not fully used to it (laughs) Emmy makes fun of me all the time for being a big wimp and basically wearing my winter coats all year long. <laughs> right. Well, you would hate the UK then. I mean, it's May here, nearly June, and it, it, we got snow the other night, which was a bit random, even for us. So, uh, yeah, don't come here if you like the warmth. <laughs> So, I mean, I've asked you here today so that we can talk about your company called Hue. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's uh, H-W-E, Hue. And so you guys basically specialise in using biotechnology to create sustainable dyes, in particularly indigo, I think. Um, So to start with, do you mind just sort of telling me a bit about the environmental problem associated with dyes such as indigo? I mean, how big is the problem? Of course. I mean, um, it is huge and maybe helpful to kind of think about why by backing up a little bit and and you can even kind of take a second to look around you and and process the fact that color is in everything um, right not just in our clothes or our food or their the, you know but the paint in our walls everywhere um, chemical dyes are, are literally infused into many of the products that we use and consume every single day. Um, and while uh, those colors used to come from plants and animals, dyes today are mainly made from petroleum in processes that, um, that the, and end products that can be very toxic to people and the planet. Um, so, you know, a couple, you know, quick stats, 20% of global water pollution today is caused by textile and fabric dyeing. Um, and dyeing is known to be among, uh, if not the sort of most uh, environmentally damaging part of the fashion supply chain. Um, there are tons of toxic chemicals that are required for both their production and their application. And 
um, you know, often containing harmful trace materials like heavy metals, potential carcinogens. Um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll just sort of uh, pause and spare you there and just say, I think the good news is there is this emerging field of bioengineering, which is you know, what my co-founder Tammy did her PhD in and what many of uh, our team members specialize in. Um, and this field has really advanced to this point where we believe we are now able to better partner with nature to bring more sustainable sources of color to the industries that are influencing the health and future of the planet. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think I also saw some other stats on your website that said like every kilogram of indigo produces over 100 kilograms of petroleum and, and there's like uh, cyanide and formaldehyde and all these nasty things, which is, is, is quite, well, I mean, I, w- I wasn't aware of it until I started working in this industry. Um, but you mentioned there that your co-founder, her PhD is in biotechnology. So how did the company come about then? I mean, how did you suddenly become aware of the environmental problem with dyes? I mean, what's the background and and what was that final straw that made you guys want to start Hugh? Yeah, well, I want to back up a little bit. And just from the kind of, you know, problem with indigo, I do like to talk about the problem with dyes as a whole, because just, you know, the problem is is massive. Um, but with some of the statistics, I did also just want to, um, you know, share, um, much like in the space of, you know, a lot of dyes, uh, it's, it's, you know, over 100 uh, units of petroleum that are needed to produce um, you know, one amount of, uh, you know, one unit of, of indigo. So it's, I, I think maybe flipped from, um, from the order that, that, that you were just mentioning, mm. but, but, but absolutely right. You know, just, um, heavily relying on fossil fuels and, and, um, and, and other toxic chemistry, um, in order to, in order to produce the, the material. And a lot of people really don't realize that that's going into, you know, our favorite pair of jeans. Um, but kind of, Back to answering your question, um, my background is uh, a little bit uh, winding, I would say. So, you know, primarily, um, you know, had a career in business. I was a management consultant doing very traditional kind of strategy and operations type work. Um, but the sort of personal connection is that my my family background is actually in the um, fashion industry. So. We are immigrants from China. My parents uh, built their own apparel company uh, out of LA, uh, where we grew up mm-hmm. when when we immigrated here. And I think because of that, um, I got a lot of firsthand exposure to many of the sort of manufacturing sustainability challenges, uh, just by virtue of you know being in the family, growing up, and and traveling with them. Um, and really uh, was uh, honestly a little bit turned off by the fashion industry and it and, and, and so kind of pursued my own independent sort of path and um, and it wasn't until uh, two years ago um, at the beginning of 2019 when my then friend and now co-founder Tammy was getting ready to graduate, had been working on this biotechnology during, her PhD as her kind of grad school thesis project over, you know, five, six years. 
um, and uh, was seeing just incredible promise uh, for both kind of impact and kind of commercial interest in the space and, and realized that um, this was something that, you know, she wanted to build and needed a business co-founder to sort of help her do it. And so we really started talking in depth about what it would look like to, um, to spin out a, a company um, based on this technology. And that's, that's exactly what, what he was doing. Mm. And how great is it that you get to do it with a friend as well? That must make it so much more enjoyable. It is. Um, absolutely. And I think the best part of it is we get to know each other even better and in a different kind of perspective to um, by being by being co-founders. Um, but uh, yeah, Tammy is just an absolutely um, um, amazing, uh, dedicated um co-founder with with a lot of heart and I'm really grateful to to get to work with her. So I mean let's talk about you and your technology then. I mean when you say bioengineering what does that mean exactly and and how are you using that to come up with a sustainable solution for dyes? (laughs) Yes so Right. We like to say Hue is a synthetic biology company developing bio-based dye technology to create a rainbow of sustainable color. And what that really means is we are basically experts at analyzing how color compounds occur in nature. Um, So we study the enzymatic kind of processes that are responsible for the color in Uh, the plants and animals around us. And then we take what we learn, we, and we program our microbes um, to mirror that process. And because microbes are kind of nature's most powerful manufacturers, they basically can then consume a carbon source like sugar Mm -hmm. and grow them to enzymatically produce the dye as they grow. Um, And the beauty of this technology is really that it is uncompromising. So it allows us to um, have a sustainable solution made from renewable sources, but it's also highly scalable um, and easily drops into the existing manufacturing processes. So it's sort of a full package solution. Mm. So just so I can get this straight, because I am not a scientist. um, So what you're doing, is it any, I'm trying to think of a way to simplify this. Is it, so flamingos, for example, what they eat determines the colour of their feathers. Do what these microbes eat determine the colour they produce? Or have I got that completely wrong? (laughs) Um, It's, Right. It's not exactly based on what they eat um, and what we feed them. It's, uh, you know, they they grow on they 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 like to consume what they like to consume. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's more so it's actually in their genetic code. And so that's what we mean by bioengineering. Um, It's it's uh, the um, it's the enzyme sequences that are telling them you know, what kinds of products to kind of secrete. And that is sort of the, um, the, the, the secret sauce behind how we get um, a microbe to produce different kinds of color. So, um, so, so, you know, the, the way it works is 
um, you know, thinking about nature as, you know, the original artist, uh, you know, whether it be kind of, I, I think flamingos are, are an interesting example. You know, you can also think about beet red or, of course, indigo blue. All of that is going to be created by um, enzymes within these uh, within these plants and animals that are telling them uh, how to create the color or, or, or giving them the kind of instructions for creating the color. Mm -hmm. um, and then we basically uh, replicate that into microbes and, and we use bioengineering to essentially teach the microbes to, uh, to replicate that process. Right. Okay. That makes a lot more sense, actually. Uh, and so how do you go about harvesting whatever they produce into a color, into a dye? Yeah. Well, we're, um, we're harnessing the power of biomanufacturing, is what we call it, to, uh, to, to do that. Um, and so essentially, you know, once we've taught the microbes how to make the dye, which is kind of the process we were just talking about, we then can grow them in a process that is very similar to kind of brewing beer. Um, so we basically grow them with sugar and some room temperature conditions where they can really thrive nicely. And then as they multiply, they, in these kind of giant tanks or vats, they, they'll secrete the dye. And so this means that all you have to do from a scalability perspective is build a large enough tank and optimize that process to fit the amount of dye you want to produce um, and then come up with a way to isolate the dye afterwards. Right. Okay. Well, that was going to be one of my questions, actually. I mean, how scalable is it? Because when you're talking about microbes, that is something so tiny that to think of, you know, the way petroleum industry is... Uh, creates dyes traditionally you just I don't know it's quite hard to comprehend so um, you're saying it's completely scalable and, and is it any more expensive either? Yeah um, absolutely scalable you know I, I think my principle is the larger the tank the more dye you produce um, and so you sort of uh, go through a kind of supply chain optimization of well what is the scale you need to support the industry um, the, that is out there. And, and when I say that microbes are powerful growing machines, um, you know, we learned in middle school biology about how quickly these, um, the, these microbes can, can multiply. And, and, and I think that's, that's exactly the principle that we're kind of taking advantage of here in the biomanufacturing process. Um, from a price perspective, I'll say, um, you know, we're only a two-year-old startup. And so because we are still at a small scale, um, we currently design pilots and price points collaboratively and individually with our brand partners. Um, but we do see strong opportunity to beat plant-based dye prices and even meet petrochemical dye prices as we grow. So I think that's, again, part of the promise of kind of the uh, the 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 promise of of the technology mm. do you know what that is so exciting actually because i attended a bio-based um, materials event recently and everyone talks about the two main barriers being scale and cost and it sounds like you've overcome both of those and it just sounds like a sustainable startup that's genuinely going somewhere which is really refreshing i'll say i think the um, I, I, I think a, a big thing is, you know, it's just a matter of time. I think it, 
um, you know, I, I have also been to sort of my um, share of, of biotechnology kind of conferences and biomaterial conferences. And, and I think oftentimes um, the, the kind of warning is you just have to make sure that you've taken your time, done your studies in order to sort of like understand um, when the solution became become sustainable or, or, or become scalable and how. And similarly, um, you know, are, have you done the studies to understand um, and, and project out how your solution would be able to um, kind of match the price targets that you want to hit? And so that that is all the legwork that we do up front, and um, and then we kind of uh, you know that those those are the projects that our our technical team um, you know develops um, in you know in as part of our our company building roadmap. And so we've talked about then like the logistics of it all, but what about um, the performance side? I mean, are the colors are they? Can you wash them the same? What's the color fastness like? I mean. Uh, when it comes to indigo, for example, jeans are often finished so that they look worn out, for example. So can it meet all of those different performance criteria? Yeah, I think this is uh, the part that I find most exciting is just looking at the performance of our lab scale trials. They have honestly been exceptional. Um, we measure in our lab as much as we can. So including color values, shade depth, color fastness and the like. And Basically, on every metric, we are holding our own against synthetic dyes and beating plant-based dye performance. Um, and that's how um, we really know we're onto something and can validate that that uncompromising value prop- proposition that I was mentioning. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, and, and so if a company wanted to use your dyes then, how would it work in their um, supply chain? Would they, would you sell the dyes um, to the dye factory or the mill or, or wherever it's going or, or how would that work? Mm-hmm. Um, so our solution is a drop-in to the existing supply chain. Um, this is really important to us when we were gathering kind of initial product requirements. We learned and understood just how difficult it can be to implement, you know, capital investments and process changes. And we don't we don't want mills to have to invest in any additional equipment or or workforce in order to use or store our solution. Um, and so the beauty um, of, of our process and um, I think the reason that um, it is something that can be widely a- a- adopted um, is, that, is that it can be that, that drop in into um, mills in the supply chain. And so in terms of the way that our model works, we basically collaborate with both brands who are going to be ultimately the ones that are um, you know, re- responsible and accountable for communicating the message and their kind of uh, mill partners um, and sort of jointly um, uh, map out the and design the projects for implementing our solution. Um, so you mentioned there about collaborating with brands. I mean, have you worked with many brands to date? Yeah, well, I know there's so much opportunity out there, but but yes, we do feel um, fortunate to be working in stealth with um, denim brands that that people know and, and love. 
Um, and so I'll just say, uh, stay tuned for <laughs> cleaner blue jeans that are powered by you. <laughs> Right. Okay. Um, and so from working with these brands then, um, I mean, what do they need to appreciate from working with a startup? I would say, I think there is a lot of education in the space. Like you said, that, that, that could be done. So, so certainly, you know, a lot of that work that, that, that needs to be done up front around kind of understanding, validating how do the thing? How does this work? Um, what is the impact that can be had? Um, but 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 also, um, I guess you know maybe on on the other side of it, realizing that after you've validated um, that this is the project, this is a viable project that that you want to take on. My other kind of um, maybe advice for brands or or, um, you know, thinking around how brands can be helpful is actually just working collaboratively in the process because there are so many things that um, will come up inevitably as part of working with, you know, emerging technology and, you know, novel startups. And, and so I think the, the best ways that the brands can be helpful is not just sort of diving in to understand and but but also uh, really having the kind of um, patience and understanding to work hand in hand and go through the journey, the full ups and downs that it takes to um, launch a real uh, significant innovation. Yeah, well, I mean, what you've just said there is something that I've heard uh, uh, quite a lot of recently that, you know, big brands they've got the resources and they've got the um, brand awareness among consumers to really drive these technologies such as Hue so yeah that that makes a lot of sense Um, and I mean if you were to flip that around what advice have you got for other startups on how to work with these brands I mean are there things like challenges that have come up that you didn't foresee and perhaps you know you want to give anyone else out there a bit of a heads up or, or what? I think the biggest one is really once you have found a, you know, partners that you are excited about, the most important thing is probably just remembering that you're working with humans and, um, and just to really work again, hand in hand and collaboratively offer that partnership. And, 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 um, I think most of all, offer the real transparency behind how to do things so that um, brands can take advantage of the resources that and, and experience that they have to help uh, bring the innovation to life. Mm, right. And that actually brings me on to uh, another question that I have, because um, I understand that you're working well, you're on this year's Fashion for Good Accelerator program, and that you've also got, um, I think it's Dr. Breslauer from Bolt Threads, which is a, a really successful um, sort of uh, alternative materials company as an advisor. Um, so, I mean, how encouraging is that for you then? And how helpful is it to have people like that on board? Yeah, well, we feel very honored um, to be backed by so many supportive and experienced investors, advisors, and, and collaborators. Um, honestly, I, I would say for us, it's it's not about 
chasing recognition or awards. Um, but it's it, what what makes it encouraging is that it's it's about getting the right kind of help, um, uh, reinforcing the importance of our work, um, and 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 then and then I think most importantly, what helps us get through, uh, you know, the 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 most challenging parts of the day to day is really just helping us believe in ourselves as, frankly you know, non-traditional archetypes of, of founders. And, and that's really powerful too. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, so going back then to you working with brands, I know you probably don't want to say any names right now, but um, will the your company, Hugh, be on the labels at all? I mean, will consumers have any idea that you guys have helped to create this sustainable product? Yeah. So again, um, you know, I won't share too much about our plans, but I will say, I think our brand absolutely should be and needs to be um, on labels because I think consumers, just as a, as a whole, consumers deserve transparency around what is going into their products um, in the same way that we have labels for, you know, the food that we eat. Um, the, the clothes that we put on our bodies every day needs to have that information so that those who want to access it can and can better understand what it is that their brands are doing to contribute to a better future. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm glad that's your answer because that's my opinion anyway. I mean, I can't believe that, you know, all. I mean, it's right that brands have the recognition because they are the ones sort of going through that product development. And I guess it's their ideas, but even down to sort of factories or um you know, uh, yarns, for example, there's like Econel and Reprieve doing the recycled sort of alternatives. And yeah, it's so important that all these different players who are doing just an, as an important job get recognized. Right. Well, so and my opinion is that, you know, we can't frame it as an either or. It's not like because brands highlight others in their supply chain that help them kind of create a product that it makes the brand diminished. In fact, I think the future is that brands need to view it as a supporter, a bolstering of their own brand is if they can be transparent and be uh, proud of the partners that they work with to bring their products to the market. I think it only creates even more of a halo effect around the brands. And I think there are a number of uh, you know, brands and, and emerging kind of players in the market today that are doing this really well. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think H&M is the one that comes to mind. They seem to be supporting a lot of people like, um, I think it's We Are Spin Dye and a couple other sort of, oh gosh, I can't remember them now, but other companies in that sort of sustainability sector so yeah I mean I hopefully others will sort of follow suit so um, from what I understand Indigo Dye is the the company's first mission um, but you mentioned at the start of this podcast about creating a rainbow of colours so um, are you able to sort of divulge any of the plans that you've got that you're hoping to explore in future? <laughs> So unfortunately, we have not publicly announced uh, what is in our pipeline. But um, again, just suffice it to say, we have big plans in the future of color. <laughs> okay, right. So we're going beyond genes then. Can I assume that? <laughs> I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, right. Well, that 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 will keep me going. Okay. <laughs> um, and I also wanted to ask you about your thoughts on bioengineering in textiles in general, because um, I understand there's a company I think in Japan called Spiber that is working with like fermentation, and I'm not not too dissimilar, I don't think, to what you guys are doing, but to create um, uh, the actual fiber. Um, so I mean. What are the possibilities regarding bioengineering? Do you think it's, you know, going to be quite a big part of the textile industry's future? Um, In short, yes. (laughs) I think there are just so many ways that bioengineering can be and will be incorporated into the future of the textile and fashion industry. And and even more broadly, um, in the world just to make sure that we hit our climate goals. And, and I do think that sometimes talking to just one company can, can make us forget or, or obfuscate the fact that this is a revolution that is fundamentally changing the way we make things. So it's, it's huge. Um, and a lot of people in, in our industry um, can point to the fact that I think you know, honestly, petroleum-based innovation is starting to reach a plateau. It created a lot of great things for us, um, but the rate of the uh, innovation is is slowing down. Whereas I think this is the time for the bio-revolution, and we're really just at the beginning of harnessing the power of, of what it means to kind of borrow from nature. And so I'm just really excited about the possibility in this space to, for example, do things like creating carbon negative materials or um, unlocking properties that we literally could never achieve before. And so I think, yeah, pointing to a company like Spiber that is doing, uh, you know, fibers or bolt threads that is doing leather um, and, you know, it, it, the, the possibilities are 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 endless. And, and I think it's, it's beyond just sort of applications in, um, you know, the kind of material, but also in the packaging and in the wastewater treatment and, and so many different ways in which we can um, just harness that power. (laughs) Mm. So it sounds like, I mean, if anyone's listening to this, who happens to be a student or someone quite young looking for that next sort of uh, uh, way forward, if you've got a knack at science, get into this industry. It sounds like it will be very rewarding and lots of possibilities. Absolutely. I and and selfishly, as somebody who you know hires for bioengineering and and biotech talent every day, I would say if you're if you have any interest in this, study it because it's it's a growing and promising field and and so exciting to be part of. <laughs> right okay um well we're sort of uh coming to an end now michelle but the the last question i wanted to ask you which i asked to many people is where do you see the industry in say five to ten years time do you think we'll meet our sustainability goals i would maybe answer that question in two parts i think on a kind of consumer and market trend perspective i think the biggest um, theme that I see um, in the future that I envision is basically a future in which sustainability is table stakes. I think right now more and more brands are learning how to talk about it, but also there are emerging brands that 
just have it in their ethos from the beginning. And I think that is going to be the norm um, in, in a very kind of rapidly approaching future. Um, if not, it's sort of already kind of here and expected from, from many customers now. And a second part and a second kind of way to answer the question is from a kind of technology trend perspective and, and even just thinking about the kind of the biomaterial space that we're in. I think it'll be a really interesting time in the next five to 10 years where we're really going to see technologies and, and companies like, like ours um, maturing and scaling for the first time. And so I think what makes that really exciting for the entire fashion ecosystem is just more understanding that everyone's going to develop together um, more playbooks, better infrastructure to support all of that. And so um, I'm really excited for the, the growth and sort of um, coming of age of, of uh, these types of technologies as well. Mm. Well, that's so encouraging, isn't it? Because the textile industry, feel, well, it feels like we've been in quite a dark space for a few years with everyone pointing the finger and rightly so at how polluting it is. And I think that statistic that we're the second most polluting industry in the world gets thrown around a lot, but it sounds like we've got a bright future ahead of us. So uh, yeah, it's going to be very exciting, I think, to see what will come out of all of this. Yeah, I think there is a lot that is emerging and um, there's a there's a p- possibility for, for a really bright future. And so I really hope to see the textile industry kind of working together really open mindedly, um, as I think I, I have already seen um, to to adopt um, new innovative practices and, and, and bring a better future for, for all of us. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm I'm thrilled to kind of. Uh, be part of it and to to observe and sit back and, and watch and enjoy. <laughs> well, Michelle, I mean, I think that's all we've got time for today, unfortunately. But I mean, thank you very much for talking with me today about Hugh. It sounds like such a great company and uh, I wish you all the best. So thank you. Thanks again. I so enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. <laughs>